Hi there, I'm Jack Siegel and welcome to the inaugural episode of Passing the Torch, a new podcast by students for students. We're glad you tuned in. The next few years are going to be challenging for young voters as we decide how to shape our world for future generations. And it's more important than ever that we pass the torch to younger generations and fight for the kind of change we need. Today, me and one of my co-hosts, Isabel, cover some issues about the 2020 election, including voter suppression and the challenge of getting young people to vote. We hope you enjoy! Hey everybody, welcome to Passing the Torch. My name is Jack Siegel. And I'm Isabel Kakou. And today we're going to be talking about voting, uh, voter suppression, kind of what the Republican Party and Donald Trump have been doing recently, and also getting out the youth vote. Uh, Passing the Torch is a podcast about uh, generational politics and how we as youth uh, can get together and change things for our country. Uh, Isabel and I are both uh, high schoolers. And we're looking to kind of change the world. Yes. Wow. Um, We are um, two co-chairs, a part of Tennessee High Schoolers for Biden. And we got this idea to start this podcast because we want to encourage more young people to be involved in the political process, whether that be volunteering for a political campaign or just learning more about politics in general. But with that being said, I guess we can go ahead and get into um, the topic for today. Um, So as Jack mentioned earlier, we're gonna be talking about voting and there has been a lot in the news about voting, especially amongst COVID-19. I don't know, Jack, did you see the tweet by Donald Trump today? Well, which one? There are so many. Yes. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, I woke up this morning to Donald Trump tweeting about Nevada and Michigan and how he thinks that their procedures with vote by mail and are contributing to voter fraud. And he is threatening to hold up funds to the state, to both states, which is very interesting. Um, And it's actually, now that I'm looking through the tweets, I just realized that he deleted his initial tweet about Michigan. Earlier, when I was doing some research, he had written that he was going to that Michigan um, was going to send absentee ballots to 7.7 million people ahead of the primaries and general election. But now the tweet has been most recently sent has said that Michigan will send absentee ballot application, which is. Very interesting. Um, I know that's one of the biggest, that was one of the questions, one of the biggest questions that a lot of people had about his tweet, because what he initially said about Michigan sending um, mail ballots was wrong, because they were just sending applications. I don't know, what do you think about the tweet, Jack? Well, I mean, I think that this is part of a larger trend. We see that Donald Trump really wants to discourage people from voting my mail, and this is probably the greatest application that Democrats have made of their goal to make voting more accessible to everybody. And uh, common reasoning will kind of tell you that turnout in the past few elections has been a benefit to Democrats. And voting by mail, we know, increases turnout. 
So this is kind of a part of Donald Trump's election strategy. If he can get popular opinion against voting by mail and against new methods of extending the vote to people, he can uh, help himself win the election, possibly um, stopping millions of Democrats from voting. The, the tweet that Donald Trump made, I think that the correction is less important than the fact that he really has a, a blatant lack of understanding of how voting works. We've seen him uh, say that absentee ballots and mail-in voting are the same thing before, which is not true. Um, and we've seen him say in this most recent tweet today that um, the Secretary of State in Michigan had sent out these absentee ballot applications illegally, which is completely false. That's kind of, you know, yeah. her job. Um, so what we've got to do is um, we, we've got to make sure that we point these things out uh, because these just aren't facts, you know? Yeah, it's crazy that he can pretty much get away with saying whatever he wants to say. I know I read a story, um, a news article about how the Secretary of State in Michigan, who was accused by Donald Trump, was so shocked by um, the president saying that her actions were illegal, um, especially because it was so blatantly outlined um, in the CARES Act, which Congress passed to help states deal with coronavirus and deal with the upcoming election. And also, I think it's important to note that he said that he would hold up funding to both um, to both um, states if they didn't do what he asked. Uh, well, we know that he can't do that. Yeah, it's so, I mean, but it's still like the audacity of the president to like say that is, it's still a lot. Um, and it has, a, um, it really impacts the way people think as well, but like saying, oh, that the president has all this authority, it's, it's wrong. And it's essentially spreading fake news. Um, but it's really important to note that the Constitution gives Congress the sole authority to and the power to appropriate money. And this is not the first time he has um, blatantly tweeted that he would send money to states that he wishes to send money to. So, I don't know. I, th I really hope that um, he can be held accountable. But For sure. For sure. Um... We see, we see a lot, you know, that he's trying to hold up money for things, and this is a part of, like, the broader Republican interpretation of the law that Trump just kind of has the power to do whatever he wants. I mean, he says so himself, his lawyer said so in the impeachment trial, and he keeps tweeting, you know, I can do this and I can do that. And there's a reason that we see a lot of this not happening. It's just because he doesn't have the power as president to hold up the, the millions to billions of dollars that uh, Congress appropriates for this kind of stuff. Now, we know, uh, I think that we should transition to the fact that, you know, these these allegations of voter fraud that Republicans are holding against Democrats, just, I mean, it's another example of fake news, like you said. Uh, we've seen, like, several uh, incidents over the past couple elections, 2016 and 2018, where mail-in voting has increased turnout and seen very few instances of fraud. And those instances of fraud were more by Republicans than they were by Democrats. So oh, yeah. if anything, we can see that Republicans are not only trying to exploit, exploit the public opinion against voting by mail because Democrats win when voting by mail happens, but also 
we see that they're trying to exploit the system when voting by mail is in effect. Uh, picking up votes for people, altering ballots, uh, and it's it's really just a it's kind of an attempt at corruption that we're seeing here, and it's it's definitely not something we can stand for uh, in the next election, which is why we have to vote Democrat. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that you bring up the point about Republicans not agreeing to uh, policies put forth by Democrats about vote by mail. Um, but it's it's actually interesting because I was doing some research and I found out that voting by mail is more convenient for some voters, but more difficult for others. And this can lead to um, both factors canceling out and dampening any partisan advantage. And a lot of Republican strategists and have been like ramping up voting by mail um, policies. You can see the Republican National Committee started sending out absentee ballot applications in Pennsylvania, and they've the Republican, the GOP, has actively encouraged their supporters to vote by mail. And there's in many states in the country where voting by mail has been very popular, like Arizona and Florida, and most recently in California, where Katie Hill, um, her seat was, uh, her congressional seat was taken uh, well, not taken, but the man who won that election was a Republican, and he used a uh, vote by mail to his advantage to win that um, that formerly Democratic seat, um, which is really, really interesting because it shows how Trump is saying one thing about voting by mail, but the GOP is doing something completely different, um, even though Trump's supposed to be the head of the GOP, he's supposed to be in charge of the party. Um, it, I think that can symbolize maybe a split in the Republican Party, um, where Republicans are kind of veering off of what Trump is doing. Well, I think often we do see that Donald Trump likes to split from his own party on a lot of positions. I mean, there have been times during this presidency where he said that he wanted universal background checks. You know, but this just isn't the case. You know, he'll get calls from party leaders that say, hey, maybe you shouldn't say this. And all yeah. of a sudden on Twitter, he reverses his whole position. Um, so not only does Donald Trump kind of have a stranglehold over some aspects of the Republican Party, um, but the Republican Party does have ways to control him and, and some of his policy positions, you know, uh, in that kind of power balance. Um, but we've, but we definitely know that Donald Trump doesn't want people to vote by mail. And this has been a, a main focus of his rhetoric, um, during, uh, press briefings and on Twitter, even though he hasn't been able to get out to rallies recently, uh, he's been using, uh, online platforms kind of as a way to test out his new ideas and vote by mail seems to be one that he's sticking to. Um, but it hasn't been just during the Trump presidency that, uh, vote by mail and, uh, mail-in voting, absentee ballots, have been attacked by the Republican Party. There have been, like, long-standing allegations that not only is mail-in voting bad for the country, that we should require voter IDs um, when people vote, which seems to be, in my view, a, a direct uh, attempt for the Republican Party to suppress turnout for voting. Yep, and that's something that has been seen in a lot of southern states. I know in Georgia, that's probably one of the most famous examples of voter suppression um, and the purging of the voter registr uh, registered voter lists. Um, and that was, that happened in 2016 and it was 
when the Secretary of State in Georgia, Brian Kemp, was running for governor, um, he single-handedly pulled off one of the worst voter suppression schemes, um, I would say, in history. Like, he took off hundreds of uh, thousands of uh, mostly um, African-American vote voters, registered voters, he took them off the list. And because of that, a lot of people who, in Georgia who thought they were registered to vote showed up in 2016 ready to vote to their polling precinct. And to their surprise, they were told that their voter registration was not valid. Um, and because of that, he was able to win against Stacey Abrams. And I know we both, um, Jack and I live in Tennessee, and like Tennessee has also been accused of voter suppression as well. So I hope this poll, even though voting by mail is kind of its own separate categories in some ways, it is it can be considered voter suppression. And I hope that this whole conversation um, just brings more awareness and attention to voter suppression and how like, plausible uh, voter suppression can be and the different ways it can look like in the 2020 general election. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think that there's going to be a lot of confusion at the very least regarding the 2020 election. We've had concerns uh, with the general election about voting security. Some uh, voting machines are decades old. Um, and of course, there's still that looming threat of the coronavirus. You know, there's going to be that uh, idea that people should still stay inside and not go to ballots because we don't know if by November the coronavirus is still going to be a, a significant force that keeps people inside and has a lot of people infected. So when we talk about um, the 2020 election in terms of voter suppression, I think that we we definitely need to um, it, keep a strong eye on both parties uh, and uh, ensure best practices when it comes to absentee ballots and in-person voting. Uh, during the yeah. during the 2018 Georgia election between Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp, um, I think it was especially heinous, you know, because it, it was it was just so blatant. You know, you can like the official just um, he, he used the State Department of Georgia to win the election for the governorship. And it's possible that he would do it again as governor um, in order to keep his seat. And this is especially important because we've seen that um, over the past a couple of years, just very recently, we've seen states in the Sun Belt start to trend blue, or at least um, less solid red and more lean red. Uh, Georgia is the prime example of this because they almost had a, a Democrat governor in 2018. Um, but if you also take, for example, Arizona, which hasn't flipped in a long time, turning from red to blue, uh, we, we need to make sure that voters' voices are heard and that we accurately represent the changing political tides in these elections. Um, North Carolina is another example of this. Uh, we, we've seen that they had a, a massive Supreme Court case where they basically got told, hey, your election maps are horrible and they're super biased and you shouldn't do it. And what one of the Republican officials said during this case was, I think it's best for the country if Republicans win, so I'm going to draw the map so Republicans win. And, oh. yeah, it really, I mean, it, 
and in anyone who looks at what Republicans say about voter suppression and about voter turnout um, will notice that they really don't want everyone to turn out to elections. They want to make it just so that their voter blocks are the ones that are most able to, which is why they're closing polling locations in less affluent areas, uh, which is why they're decreasing the number of polling locations overall. They're purging people from voter rolls like we saw in the 2018 Georgia election, and they're trying to deny mail by vote. And this is a, this is a part of a broad effort, I think, by our national government, uh, and especially Republicans in government, to uh, decrease uh, the amount of people who vote and hold power. Um, and we've seen that several election bills, uh, election security and election funding have went through the Senate or went through the House and then got held up in the Senate by Mitch McConnell, you know, that would have protected our elections both from foreign and domestic problems. Uh, but these simply, they haven't even been voted on. They haven't been considered by Republicans in the Senate. They haven't been talked about by Donald Trump in the White House. Um, and so the, all these actions that we can take have kind of just been sitting on uh, the Senate floor for, for months, if not even years, you know? Oh, yeah. And I know with the, the election security bill that you are just talking about, that was a bipartisan effort. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's so sad to see that just sitting on the desk of Mitch McConnell. Um, and then also, most recently, Republicans have begun to ramp up a multi-million dollar initiative to monitor, monitor polling places and challenge voters that they deem suspicious. And the GOP claims that they're just doing this to prevent fraud. But, I mean, I think we all realize that they're just trying to suppress turnout. Um, and it's so evident that they're doing this because it's if you look um, at the younger demographic that are that um, identify as Republican, you can see that it's getting smaller and smaller. Um, and at the ways that they're going and the ways that this demographic is not really growing and increasing, um, there's not going to be the Republican Party in a couple decades, if not centuries even. So I think that all the efforts of gerrymandering and just suppressing votes is just another way for them to like keep the party alive, which is crazy because it's just so obvious. Well, um, I think I have to disagree with you there. I think that even oh, though okay. we have um, we have some efforts by the Republican Party to um, to to make sure that uh, voter turnout is less, I think that there's still a large portion of this country that wants to vote Republican. And I don't think the Republican Party is going to die anytime soon, even though we have, like, these uh, these personality problems. Like, once Donald Trump goes, you know, we, we might not have that same driving force behind some Americans who vote Republican. But we're definitely going to see that the ideas, you know, of small government and of conservative economic spending are going to come back. You know, I mean, Donald Trump has definitely changed the Republican platform, uh, more authoritarian than right. But as soon as he gets out, as soon as the establishment Republicans come back, I guarantee you we're going to see the same funding for um, for advertising and candidates that support, you know, that small government deregulation kind of party. But I, I think that what Donald Trump has done to the party is, I wouldn't say irreversible, but it's definitely put them in a direction that will like a path that they will continue down um under like i truly believe that donald trump 
was elected as a result of the Tea Party and that more right-wing um, sect of the Republican Party. And I, I don't think that party and that party that part of the of the Republican Party is, from what I have seen, very older. There, it's not um, a sustainable movement as well. And I think the point I was making, I'm not sure if the Republican Party would die like as we as we know it, but I think that it would have a lot of trouble with competing with the Democratic Party. More young people are turning to the Democratic Party. They are becoming more engaged at higher rates than the Republicans are turning out young people. Um, and so I think that's why the Republicans are so nervous about voter vote by mail in some sense, or just allowing everyone to vote because they know that if they allow everyone to vote, there's a large percentage, a large percentage of those people would vote Democrat. Um, and I, I know that in uh, one of the, one of Donald Trump's advisors for his 2016 campaign, even said that the reason why he won was because well, why Donald Trump was one was because they suppressed African American votes. They ran tons and tons of fake Facebook advertisements, um, and that was essentially like I view that as suppression in its own category, and that's how they were able to win the election in some sense. So. Hmm. Yeah. Well, we definitely see that. Um... Uh, Democrats might be turning out more engagement among activist youth voters, but I don't think we can uh, we can discredit the force that um, that the Republican Party has among youth. I mean, with the with Donald Trump has come a very easy to like personality. You know, oh, he's yeah. bold, he's brash, he's he says what he wants and he does what he wants, and he kind of uh, he kind of uh, exemplifies that personality that a lot of young people are going to look up to, you know, that doesn't follow the nuances of politics, that doesn't say long words, you know. Um, and elections aren't always about policy. Like, you know, you and I could talk about policy for days on end, but they're about people. You know, I mean, if we put up Joe Biden's policies against Donald Trump's policies uh, on a blank or on a black and white sheet of paper, I think the election would be a lot less interesting and we'd have about, you know, 50% of the people turn out as we normally do. But with all this advertising um, and with all these, like, broad efforts, you know, to get people engaged and the way that Donald Trump has um, uh, of, of connecting with people, um, we, we'll definitely see youth, I believe. I think we'll see a good proportion of youth turn out for the Republican Party because he's a personality, you know? And there are always going to be personalities like his. Oh yeah, um, it it will be it will be interesting to see um, how the Re Republican Party um, will not react, but how they will end up as a result of Donald Trump in the future. Like how it will skew their party dynamics. But like you said about the the youth supporting Donald Trump, I don't know if you've seen Students for Trump, their Instagram page. Oh, it's really dumb. Yeah, it's terrifying. horrible. Like, I see it, and I'm just, oh, 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 no. Yeah. But, yeah, that is very scary that he is attracting young people um, by just these catchy phrases and 
bits of policy. I don't even know if they're policy, but it's just like bits of information to like target people. Well, yeah, I mean, his falling for that ideology. His platform was really simple. And during the 2016 election, it was Mexicans are bad, build the wall. China is bad, (laughs) stop trading with them. And stock market, good. You know? Yeah. Uh, And and that's really all he had to run on. You got those business people who liked having the stock market go up and had their retirement savings increase. You know, you've got those, um, like, anti-China kind of people. And, I mean, that they're justified. You know, both parties need to have a significant plan to deal with China. Um, but then you get to the, the Mexican part, you know, and that was just... That's that's the oh. worst of the Republican Party. I mean, we've seen immigration reform proposals. Um, like, 2012 um, was a really great election uh, to see both sides kind of have uh, at least a decent understanding of how immigration worked, you know? Um, I remember when the biggest political debate was whether or not Obama was justified in his executive order um, that helped Dreamers, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, but now we see that kind of uh, Democrats are ignoring the immigration issue because it's so, like, it's so dominated by Republicans. Because all they have to say is, build the wall, Mexicans are criminals. And and no matter what you say, like, it doesn't matter if you cite statistics, studies, you know, they don't care. Uh, they just, they like that they're going to be able to keep their jobs, you know, and they can cite crime rates in El Paso, Texas, as opposed to the city across the wall from it. But, I mean... That argument is just so hard to win for Democrats. I think the mistake that we're making is not uh, is not going out there and saying, "Hey, we want to be reasonable about this, and we want to reach out to people." Like this, this polarization that we have, especially on these key issues of like Donald Trump's personality stuff, like Democrats aren't even touching it, but we've got to touch on it. What do you mean, like? with the the wall and building the wall because i i feel like democrats they tried to do something about it but well they they tried to do something and that's that's for sure they and i i don't want to get too far off topic here because we've been talking for a few minutes about immigration um uh, but I'll, I'll I'll kind of sum it up, and and that's that Democrats have tied tried to deport some people and keep some people and handle the illegal immigrants that are already here, but they haven't proposed to solve the root of the problem, which is that we don't allow you know legal immigration to happen in any timely manner or any reasonable number of people, you know. Well, I think that's well, <laughs> we're definitely getting a little off topic, but I, I think that's because of the policies with the asylum, with Donald Trump's policies of um, completely changing the asylum-seeking process as we know it. Um, so I think that completely threw a wretch in everyone's plan because that um, just made it harder for Democrats to, well, not, I wouldn't even say Democrats, but just it, it made it harder for people who came across the border to justify like why they were coming initially it was for asylum and now they can't because asylum is it's very very hard to seek asylum now so. yeah so i mean so we've, we've got a what i'm saying is democrats have to address the immigration problem in a in a stronger way 
a, like in a I more mean, a more well, detailed, hopefully. broad kind of way to to get back on the track for winning over moderates who care about that kind of stuff. Because they haven't but, really put I out mean, a plan for it. Yeah, but at, I mean, at this point, like, if they put anything, well, if Nancy Pelosi and Congress wrote anything, any type of bill about um, immigration, it would be, sh- like, the vote would be straight down party line. Well, isn't it always straight um, down party lines? Yeah, but after that, like, of course, the Democrats would win in the House. It would go to the Senate, and it would just sit on Mitch McConnell's desk. So at some point, I think they need to be strategic with their time because in the House, they would just debate it for a couple of days. And it would, I wouldn't say it'd be useless, but like it would never even be voted in the Senate because the Senate is controlled essentially by Donald Trump because Mitch McConnell is Donald Trump's little pawn. Well, yeah, so, so I think we could say the same about a lot of issues, um, like about gun control. You know, we could pass any gun control bill we want. Um, and that's something that Democrats have wanted to do with their recent elections is pass, you know, background checks and stuff. And that's going to sit on Mitch McConnell's desk. You know, we can pass climate change legislation. That's going to sit on Mitch McConnell's desk. What we have to do is we have to show Americans as a party that we're willing to get out there and we're willing to take a stance on the issues. You know, we can't just be the party of we're against the Republicans because we know that in 2016 that didn't work. You know, we kind of just said, here's Hillary Clinton, our most establishment, least likable candidate, you know, and yeah. and the only reason you're going to vote for her over Trump is because she is A, a woman, and B, a saint, you know, and with, uh, and with this election, what Democrats have to do is they have to say, here's Joe Biden, this likable person who cares about your problems, and he's willing to solve them, and we as Democrats are going to back him up on it, you know? Yeah. And so I mean, these I issues that I'm done, though, like, sorry, the Democratic Party is backing Joe Biden. Um, but I, I think that I don't want to I hate to say this, but at this point, like with especially with gun control, like even though it's a bipartisan effort and 97 percent of Americans support it, like it's still sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. It's still straight down party lines. So at this point, like we just kind of have to wait for a, a Democratic um president um or if we regain um the senate then maybe like something can be done which is so i it feels so wrong to say that but i feel like it's true at this point like it's it seems like we're just wasting time by even just well by um congress even just discussing these very party um party partisan yeah, p- yes, that's the word. Partisan policies. So, I don't know. I hate to say that we have to wait yeah. till we get our Republican. Oh, no, a, a Democrat, Democrat, yeah. I mean, it's in. it's easy to say it's pointless. You know, it's easy to go out here yeah. and say, you know, obviously it's going to sit on Mitch McConnell's desk. Yeah. But, I mean, Republicans, every year, they're going to talk about the bills that they passed. You know, I mean, the, Donald Trump is going to talk about the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which he used to, um, w- which he used to give corporations a bunch of money and and uh, cut tax rates for everybody. You know, and but yeah. he can say, here, I cut taxes and I help jobs, and whether or not whether or not the economy shows that, he can say, here, I passed a bill. You know, and he and he can say, and, and he can put his name on the First Step Act too. He can say, here, I did criminal justice. You know. But when um, people care about, like, everyday Americans who are not, like, obs- like very 
informed about policy like we are, will everyday Americans who hear him talking about all these amazing things he's done, but see the current state of this world, see the, um, see how criminal justice problem has not been solved, see how the economy is in ruins in comparison to some of the other countries in the world, um, and then see the state of our healthcare um, and other really, really important issues to everyday Americans. Like, will they care if they just hear him talk about his policies? Well, I was listening to um, Pod Save America the other day, and um, it's a really good podcast. Um, You you guys should go check them out if you don't already. Um, But what they were talking about um, kind of early on in this episode was how Donald Trump wants to frame this election, you know, especially with the coronavirus thing. What Democrats have to kind of accept is that because Donald Trump was president, you know, and businesses were confident, the stock market was doing well until coronavirus happened. And whether that's whether that's his fault or not, and we, we can probably assume that it is, you know, that America has such a coronavirus problem. We know that Republicans are going to frame it as, well, Donald Trump didn't make the coronavirus happen. The coronavirus happened to Donald Trump. And he's going to be the one to make the economy better because it was good until coronavirus, you know? And so we can't just say, here, look at this shambling economy and look at all the problems American has or America has. Here's what Joe Biden's going to do about it. We also have to say, here's why. Here's why all these problems are caused by Donald Trump's mismanagement, you know? And so, mm-hmm. like I'm saying, it's, it's not enough to just say, you know, we are against Donald Trump. It's we have to say, you know, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we did. Like the Democratic House, what they do for the next six months before the election, that's going to matter. You know, they're going to be the they're, they're going to be the ones passing these bills, creating the stimulus, you know, giving people this money and this aid and bringing the country back to where it is. That's the Democratic Party platform, you know. And so in this election, we have to take the strategy of at least passing bills through the House to show the American people that we're committed. Yeah, no, I, I get where you're you're coming from now. Um, but I guess it's, it is easy for just every Americans just to see kind of like it seems like it's a wasted effort by that. But I, I, I understand that in the future, it will help us and it will definitely help Joe Biden. Um mm-hmm solidify his platform as like someone who can kind of take the um the status or the i don't know the current situation that we are in and where our country is in country is in and make everything better again so yeah i'm fair right about that actually why don't we end by talking about like how because i know we talked about how trump engages or how Trump has a base of youth support. We can, I guess, it might be interesting to talk about like Biden's um, supporters, young supporters, because I know we've probably all read the very famous article about Biden and his lack of support from young people. So I think that'd be a nice, happy topic. Well, hopefully, happy topic to end on rather than talking about Donald Trump and terrible state of the world. Right. Yeah. So let's talk about that. Um, uh, well, as you guys uh, know, we mentioned earlier, Isabel and I are uh, co-chairs for the Tennessee High Schoolers for Biden, which means we're directly active in getting youth turnout uh, in our state and trying to campaign for him across the nation. 
Um, so we might be a little biased, but we won't only give you gl- we won't just talk about how amazing Bennett is. We'll give you guys the authentic our uh, our true opinions. Yeah, that's it. Um, yes, we're not yeah. going to sugarcoat anything. <laughs> yeah, I think that um, overall, I mean, Joe uh, Joe has a difference from the Obama campaign in, in that his campaign so far has not been digital. And that's how you reach out to young voters, you know? And so, I mean, obviously we run an Instagram page and so does the campaign and so do a lot of other people. There are so many Instagram pages. It's not even funny. Um, yeah, there's like probably hundreds. Like one for every college, one for every state, one for every major city, one for every small town, like... Oh, yeah. One County. for every person, like, anyway. And they share the same post. Yeah. Over and over. Anyway. So... Um, so what Joe Biden has to do, you know, he has to, he has to get those advertising campaigns, but he also has to get, you know, the youth that supported Bernie and had that good digital presence on, on his side. And, and so we've seen polling shows about 85% of Bernie supporters are going to be for Trump or or not for Trump, for Biden. Sorry. Um, polling shows about 85% Bernie supporters are going to go for Biden. And that's a good number. The question is enthusiasm, you know? To engage the youth vote, Joe Biden, like I said, he has to make that commitment. He has to say to, to young voters as well, he has to say, here are the problems that you care about. And so there is there is a lot of things that I, you and I have talked about earlier, Isabel, um, that uh, affect young voters more, you know, affect the, the next generation and, and things that will happen in our lifetime, like climate change. Um, conservative estimates uh, on on climate change will say that Miami will be underwater by 2040. Did you know that? Oh my goodness! Yeah, that is scary. I I um I didn't know it was 2040. I thought it was 2050, but it's crazy because that's like 20 years. Yeah, a, a, in our lifetimes, you know, there there will be cities underwater because we didn't we didn't fix climate change. You know, there are mm-hmm. there are Republican voters that are either going to be dead or living in the Midwest by the time that climate change matters, you know, but we're going to see these effects more and more as time goes on. So that's a big thing that Biden can commit to, to gain youth voter support. Another thing is with um, gun violence. You know, we see that in our schools, uh, every day we hear about gun safety protocols, you know, and, and how to deal with school shooters. I mean, people joke about that all the time, you know, like the, like the quiet kid stuff and the pumped up kicks and, and all that stuff, oh. you know? And and so students are worried about this. We may, like, make memes about it, but we're worried about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are issues that you can capitalize on as an empathetic person like Joe Biden, you know? And you can say, here, you guys, I care. Yeah. But, but he I, has I, to get online and do that. Yeah, and, and Joe does do a good job with the empathy side of things. He I do think he can connect with a large demographic of people, which is interesting because I was thinking about it and I was like, what is like progressive? Like we, whenever we talk about progressive policies or progressive candidates, we automatically assume that they're like super left-wing, like Bernie Sanders, maybe some of Elizabeth Warren's policies, AOC, the whole squad. Um, But I think we need to realize that but Joe would be a very progressive candidate as well. Oh, yeah. And I know Jack and I talked, we've had conversations about this. I think it's hard for young, I, 
personally, I don't think that throwing policies at young people will do a lot of good. I don't think that they would, um, we would see increased turnout and increased support if we just throw policies. But I think we do need to find a way to communicate that. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is so ingrained in like the burning culture of progressivism, yeah. I guess you could say. Well, I mean, I, I've said this before to other people. It's, it's, you don't have to be a radical on either side to be a progressive. You know, progressive just means you use the power of the government to help the people. You know, and yeah. so and so there are solutions that that Joe Biden has proposed to this stuff, even just the universal background checks, you know, the universal background checks, mm-hmm. investing in green energy and, and getting this stuff on the road that that makes you a progressive, you know, that makes you want to move forward for the American people. But like you said, more than policy, we have to get Joe's personality out to people. And that's going to be his struggle. You know, he can go on TV on late night or whatever, and he can he can talk to Jimmy Fallon or something, and nobody pays attention to that. You mm-hmm. know, he can he can go do interviews, town halls, rallies, whatever. But what he has yeah. to do is he has to spread his personality out to people, and he has to he has to say, you know, here I am, I care, and and Donald Trump can't even say that he he can't say he cares about this kind of stuff. He does he doesn't believe climate change is a thing. He doesn't think that. I mean I mean. Up until recently, he thought that guns should be limited, but now that he's president, he doesn't think that guns should be limited at all, you know? And so as long as we get the message out there, you know, we can tell people Biden cares and Trump doesn't. And that's how we get the youth vote, you know? Bernie cared. That's how he got the youth vote. He reached out to young people and he said, I want you to grow up into a brighter future, you know? Yeah. But we have to replicate that kind of with Biden. Even with an endorsement, it's not the same. We have to yeah. we have to reach out and make an effort. Yeah, and I think that's going to be interesting on how to do it. Because I guess it's easy for us to talk about. Like, oh, yeah, let's just talk to young people. But it's like, it is harder. And I one thing with the campaign, as you mentioned before, like, they were very... I don't know if you actually mentioned this. I don't know if I'm just making this up. Um, saw a couple of days ago, like, they're still, like, hiring people to kind of complete their team um they were very last minute with organizing students for biden high schoolers for biden and then all the candidates including pete had that established months before them Mm -hmm. so i do understand like the point of the article which said that he wasn't joe biden wasn't listening to young people because it is kind of clear that their focus was it seemed like their focus was elsewhere um so i think what he's been doing now um, has been great. I'm excited to see what his team is going to do. I think his shorts, uh, he does like little um, interviews with, he did one with like a nurse and it was very, very interesting. Yeah. I think small things like that is, mm-hmm. it's making a small step. Um, and so hopefully they can kind of come up with a more comprehensive long-term sustainable digital um organizing technique like we saw with p for america um and use that to Mm -hmm. get the support of youth yeah i think that's uh that's a great place to end it you know Um, oh yes i've been talking for a while do you do you have any uh do you have any closing words before we uh sign off Wow, we covered a lot. We, I think we, we started off by saying that we would only talk about votes, voting. Um, and I think we, we talked a lot about vote by mail. But then we kind of diverged off and 
talked about immigration and the state of um, our government, essentially. But I think, as we've mentioned with the youth vote, voting by mail, it's so important to um, hold our government leaders accountable to the things that they're doing, the policies they're putting forward that are going to harm us, whether that be like now with vote by mail and opposing that, but also in the future, like if they're not going to climate change, um, that's a problem. So I think if you have to take away one thing from this episode, it is to please hold your government officials, whether that be local, state level, or national, accountable to the policies that they hold. That means you can call their office. You can find that on Google. You can call them and ask them what bills they support, why they support them, and make sure that they know how you feel. You are their constituent. They serve to represent you, and your voice matters. Yeah. Um, if I had anything to say to close this out, it's that um, if I had, if I had something to say to the youth, that is, you know, to, to my fellow high school students, people who are going to vote this fall, you know, it's that despite everything, you know, there are politicians who care. It, it, they may sound crazy, but there, there are people in D.C. who actually want things to improve, you know, and if you want, if you want positive change to happen, if you want things to get fixed for you and me, you know, you've got to vote Democrat. And you've got to get out there and you've got to tell other people, you know, this is how we make things better. You know, we've got to put people in office who care. You know, encourage encourage your friends to at least, you know, be informed. Um, <laughs> and we covered a lot of stuff today um, from yeah. voting uh, to immigration, you know, to, to how to get the youth on your side. Um, and... I'm so glad that anyone who tuned in uh, listened today. Uh, we'll be putting up more episodes in the future. Uh, I'm Jack Siegel, and I'm here with uh, Isabel Kagu. We may oh. have um, some guests in the future, uh, uh, anywhere from local party officials uh, to people from the Biden campaign. And we also have um, another host come on. Um, her name's Mia, but she wasn't able to come today. Um, yes. So... Uh, we're looking forward to communicating with you guys, making more episodes, and uh, getting out the message. Thanks also, for listening. Oh, sorry? Oh, just one quick thing. If you guys have any ideas on possible um, podcast themes for upcoming weeks, um, or guests that you would like us to see on our podcast, please let us know. We are probably going to link this to our Tennessee High Schoolers for Biden Instagram page. Follow us, TNHS for Biden. And I guess you can either DM you can DM us um, with any comments or suggestions. And we would love to hear from you guys. All right. Thank yeah. You. Thank you for listening to Passing the Torch. Once again, I'm Jack Siegel. I'm Isabel Kagu. And we'll see you later. Bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the very first episode of Passing the Torch. We hoped you liked our insights. Over the course of the election season, we'll be here to give you the full scoop on loads of issues, including special guests and episodes, so stay tuned. If you have any suggestions, comments, or questions for me or Isabel, you can find us on Instagram at TNHS for Biden. See you next week!